0: I am going to bring up uh, someone that everyone knows, at least if you watch the news on a regular
1: basis, you know her. And I think I'll save, I think I see that she has a table of some colleagues here, but I'll save that for her to do. Karen Jordan co-anchors the weekend news on ABC
0: Chicago 7. Um, with Ravi Vejwal. She grew up in Evanston, and she joined ABC 7 in 2003. Now, I have about another two pages of bio to go through, but I'm going to save that because I, again, want to decrease so that she might increase and bring the rest of the ladies up to this panel. So uh, uh, without further ado, I'll bring up Karen.
2: you so much, Jackie. Uh, Good afternoon, everyone. Good afternoon. afternoon. So happy to be here today. Um, I am pleased to be filling in. Uh, my colleague Judy Sue was originally scheduled to be the moderator of the panel. She had some laryngitis issues. Um, she's almost back up to speed, but doesn't want to overextend her voice, so they uh, asked me if I could pinch hit, and I was very excited to be able to do it. So again, thank you City Club for having me for this panel, and thank you all for being here today. Do, is ABC7 here? Does, I thought I saw maybe ABC7 table. Possibly A&A. Okay. Um, just want to give a shout out. Um, well, sure. Well, so without further ado, um, wanted to again thank everyone for coming to our discussion today. Very important discussion. Unfinished business. Chose closing the gender equ- equity gap for women and girls in Chicago. Um, And again, wanted to thank City Club for providing a forum to discuss this uh, really interesting and examine this issue. Just a little bit of background. Right now in Chicago, girls, a whole generation of them are coming of age in a city led by women. This is even represented in our top offices of the city, the mayor's office, the city treasurer, city clerk. However, we also know Chicago has a long way to go before achieving gender equity, especially in the workplace. So today our panel, and we have a dynamic panel, by the way. This is going to be very exciting. Um, They are going to tackle this issue and shine a light on some of these issues in Chicago's corporate culture. And of course, we really do want to address this head on, get into some real talk, uh, talk about some things, and we want to figure out how to start closing the gap for women here in the city. So as we can see, this is definitely resonating with a lot of the audience here, mainly women, but we have our male allies in the audience. So let's give yourselves a round of applause. (laughs) Thank you for coming here. I uh, want to give a shout out to my dad, too. He is here, Robert Jordan. Yes, uh, wanting to come check things out. So, thank you for that. Um, okay, so let's bring up our panelists to the stage. First, we have Felicia Davis, President and CEO of the Chicago Foundation for Women. Sherita Ellens, CEO of Women Employed. And Dory McWhorter, CEO of the YWCA of Metropolitan Chicago. Thank you. I fashion. <laughs> I know. <laughs> the fashion plates. Thank you, ladies. Thank you so much for being here today. Um, I just want to jump right into the discussion, opening this up a question for all of you. Um, what is actually one thing that you think people really don't know about the issue of gender equity in the workplace? And whoever wants to start... Okay.
0: Of course, when you sit here, you get all the questions first.
2: <laughs> You're in the hot seat.
0: <laughs> it's, it's interesting, and this question is so hard for me. The reason is because I feel like we know so many of the issues that the question is what do we do about them. And so the one thing people don't know, I feel like that is so relative in terms of what people focus on. But my, my, my take on that would be that the fact that I mean any statistic pick one that resonates with you quite frankly whether it's pay inequality, diversity on boards you pick the issue they're they're all there so the question becomes what do you care most about for me and what do you want to focus on because that's the thing I think we've studied the problem so long that I'm just so over it Um, (laughs) and we know the issues and so the question is for me what do we do about it so I don't know that people don't know I think the the biggest question is what is it that we're going to do about it interesting
1: Um, definitely in this room I think uh, a lot of the people in this room um, understand the issues that go into uh, gender equity I would think that one of the things that I think one of the common misconceptions is that if we just do equal pay for equal work that that will close the pay gap and that is not the case at all that there are so many uh, layers that go into gender equity and economic equity for women um, that it is a complex issue and that you have to pull back the layers you have to disaggregate the data and the solutions can't be a one size fit all that you really have to break those solutions down by women of color um, by low wage women um, in, until we can get to a solution
3: one thing I think um, everyone doesn't know, perhaps, that it's just not a woman's issue. And I know there are some great, brave men in the room today. But this isn't just a woman's issue. If Chicago and our region were um, in, in, in a first class um, for gender equity, that would equal $53 billion with a B pumped into our local economy. That means that would be those women getting the wages that they deserve, and they would spend that money in our economy, on their families, on the things that they're going without. $53 billion is being left out of our GDP because we are not a first class city when it comes to gender equity. And so I think that's something, the size of it, you know, I think people don't really understand that we're harming ourselves collectively when we do not offer equity.
2: And that's right. I I mean, that's a very interesting point. Research proves that empowered women are the fuel for a successful family so what are the roadblocks um, and I know Dory talked about you know we know that there's an issue but what can we do about it so it's interesting so that
0: study that uh, Felicia mentioned came out what three four years ago and it was done by McKenzie so if you have McKinsey telling you that that number is in the the tens of billions of dollars. The question is at this point you're not wanting to achieve that or you would. And so I think some of the barriers are the willingness to do it. You know, it's interesting as I see this room full of some of my favorite feminists in this room and so excited that we have the type of folks that we do in Chicago. The question is, why hasn't it changed? I'll tell you because it's not the people in this room. And so, so for me I just think that we have to be very deliberate about how do we get the message outside of this room and into the people that actually want to support us in doing something about it because I can pretty much agree that those in this room we all particularly this panel I know we agree that uh, there's something needs to be done so the question is then who else needs to hear that message? Who else needs to understand that $58 billion number, $53 billion number? Um, who else needs to understand that and how will we say that that's what's going to motivate them to actually do something? Because I'll, I'll go back on one thing, the question around what people don't know. What people don't don't know about, in my opinion, that they don't, they act like the things that happen in community aren't necessarily manifested in the workplace. Mm -hmm. And so people are so involved in doing community service out there, but they never do the work that they need to do in here because, by the way, those same representative people are in our four walls. So if it's one in four, it's not one in four women on the south side of Chicago experiencing domestic violence, it's one in four women, period, Mm -hmm. in this room, in your workplace, everywhere. And so I feel like there's such a a desire to grasp uh, to want to affect people in community, but no one wants to do anything in the four walls fast enough.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, to add to that, I think it's it's also about. The fear of losing power and influence. At the Absolutely. end of the day, that's what it's about. You know, women make up half the population. We make up half the workforce, yet we're only represented by a quarter in the C suite, by a quarter in political representation in Congress. So representation matters, and it's because the people that currently hold the power and in the influence also hold the power to make the decisions to move this needle. And until we change those facts, until the representation grows we're going to continue to have these conversations over and over.
3: I want I want to add on something uh, Dory said too, about the people in this room but I will say that I will challenge the people in this room, even you, even all of us who believe we're in some state of wokeness or <laughs> a state of awakening that there is actually quite a lot that you can do. There are the things that you pretend not to see mm-hmm. the things that you pretend not to hear and the things you just put your head down and deal with and we all know it and so what I will say is stop not seeing, stop not hearing, and stop not doing, and do something about it. I mean, what, yeah.
1: thank you. <laughs>
3: Because if this is the force, if we in this room are the force for good, then we are the people who also need to be acting. And then when we're in our spaces, so think about it, you know, when we're in our spaces when it's just us, we also still need to be brave and we also still need to speak up. And so I think that at least you're in this room, you understand, and you probably want to advance the issue. But in the quiet places, I mean a couple of years ago there was an election and then people got into the ballot bot in the quiet in the ballot and then the room and the quiet and then So I'm saying, I'm saying, don't do that. Be brave and know that you are 100 years ago when some women received the right to vote, some women. Mm -hmm. They did that without all women. You each, so right now I'm talking to my white women friends, Mm -hmm. my girlfriends in this room. It's all of us together, really is. And so um, someone, it's not me who said this, it's... um, uh, Mel, uh, Melody said "Don't people say, oh I don't see color I don't see color and uh, Melody Hobson says this and I want you to stop saying that and I want you to see it because what I want you to understand is when you're not seeing it when you're not seeing it it is a problem and then be brave enough to do something I mean we'll talk about this, but hiring is a big problem. Hiring panels are a problem. When you are on a search committee and a selection committee, you know there is a thing that I do, it's a commitment that I have to myself. I hire for talent, clearly, and I'm, I'm so honored to hire and work at an organization that we're mission-driven, and it's so easy to find people who are passionate about the mission. The other thing that you're able to do, though, is that when you come down to it and there are equally qualified people... Equally qualified can't the white the mediocre white guy doesn't eat the break. <laughs> <laughs> the, when they're equally so think about that. Think about who you give that opportunity to. Women of color are talented. And that's it. I'm not adding nothing else to it. Women of color, (laughs) women of color, women of color are talented. And so when you're in the making those hiring decisions, give that opportunity because the truth of the matter is y'all, the mediocre white guy has already gotten enough breaks. That is the truth. Wow. So, and in the McKinsey research shows that white men are hired for their future potential. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hired and promoted for what they might do in the future, what they might do. You contrast that to how women are hired or promoted and it's if you haven't done exact letter of the 15 things in the job description, you're not going to get the the opportunity. So, just I'm going to so I'll challenge all of us in this room really to dig deep
2: and to look So of course, Felicia does really touch on a very hot button issue right here. There's the gender equity gap, but when you overlay race, mm-hmm. um, ethnicity, that gap gets even wider. Mm-hmm. So, yes. you know, how do we? I guess piggybacking on what Felicia says, mm-hmm. going forward, if we all know this, then how do we put into place some things that can try to stop that?
0: It's I'll, now it's kind of like a <laughs> <laughs> kind of like a thing. Um, well, I'll I'll say that absolutely right. We there's more that we all can be doing, but I would say let's start with the basics. For example, we celebrate Equal Pay Day in April. Why don't we celebrate November twentieth or whenever the date Latino women actually cross that finish line? November 27th. November. Yeah. So it's those types of things. It's it's us recognizing the issues as well and creating that solidarity. Solidarity. Um, you know, Sandra Phil and Finley from. League of um, Black Women, she says that what we need more people to say is not without my sister. And that's exactly what needs to happen is that we need to continue to recognize that there are many of us at the tables where others of us aren't at. So what else can we do? But I don't want to just make it our issue because it actually isn't. (laughs) You Mm -hmm. know, There's absolutely things that we can be doing. So the question that I want to continue to challenge people on is how do you break the status quo? how do we ask different questions so that we can end up with different solutions? Because the problem is if, if, quite frankly, if it was all up to us, we would be done by now. And I'm I'm trying to check myself because I'm like, I don't want to come off really angry, but I kind of (laughs) am. So how can I say the most, Uh, you know, but but I do feel this sense of urgency that's absolutely driving me crazy because we've been at this work at the YWCA for 140 years. I've been in this job for almost seven, and I know I'm working my butt off day and night, and I'm like, and things still haven't changed. Mm -hmm. We've been doing great work, but the fact of the matter is we're still dealing with the same issues that I started with seven years ago. And and I just refuse to keep being on this hamster wheel so I'm like, we need to break some stuff now. Like We need to really change some things and really dig deep and understand what are those things that need to get changed and how soon can we make that happen. That will take all of us to do because one person try to break some stuff looks like a tantrum. Um, but but if we collectively start working together to really break some things, and when I say break some things, I'm talking about institutional things. I'm talking about all of the things that we have Access to really asking a different question that allows us to understand how can we set up new systems that when the old systems clearly have not worked for us. You know one of my favorite quotes is by Bucky Fuller he says if you can't fight things by changing the existing reality you create new models to make the old models obsolete and it is so time for so many of these models to be obsolete. The workforce was not created for us in mind. It never was so ask the question. It wasn't. So ask the question what are other things that we should be thinking about. I don't celebrate flexible time off because who are you flexing for? Create a schedule that works. It's things like that that we need to really dig deep into. Every single process that we need to evaluate. Every single system needs to be evaluated. And we have to be the ones that do it because no one's going to say, this system works for you, you should do this. No, we're going to tell you what works for us, and that's what we're going to do. And I think it's about time that we continue to do that and give people new ideas. If they had them, one would assume that they would activate an opportunity to get $58 billion. And if they ha- they clearly don't have them, so we need to be the ones to provide them.
1: Yes. Uh-huh. Um, so.
2: Not to interrupt, yes. But uh, so Governor Pritzker actually signed a corporate diversity bill Mm -hmm. in the fall. Um, what implications do you think this actually has for business? Is this
1: I'm going to go back to a couple things. Um, one, in order to fix the issue and, and deal with the fact that we don't have parity, but we have less parity when it comes to women of color, is that, one, we have to be honest about the systems of discrimination and bias that continues to perpetuate the disparity, right? There is no... No, um, no no, reason why black women and Latina continue to lag behind in every single indicator other than discrimination and bias. Um, we know that we're at parity or higher in education. We know that we're at parity or higher in, edu- in, in experience. So one, we have to admit that there is a problem and that within our organizations and corporations that we do have discriminations that we deal with and biases so you have to begin to untrain yourself um, and untrain these organizations with the bias that is what the attempt is with the um, trying with the bill that is trying to diversify boards however it was watered down Um, You know, the attempt was so that there was at least representation of one woman, one African American and one Latino on the board. What it came back, what actually passed was that the organizations have to report out who's on their board. Yes, that is a step but that's not going to change it and having one person on the board in today's uh, society is ridiculous that we even have to continue to fight and push for what is right to begin with when we are the major consumers when we do make up the majority of the population so we have to continue to challenge the system and call bs when when we see bs and not accept the crumbs that the power structures continue to dabble in front of us to placate us
3: I, so I, um, at the press, when the bill passed out of committee, a reporter called me and I made comments about basically what Sharita just said. And, and my thing is that once again, we don't need another study. Everything that needs to be studied has been studied. Right. And I, and I felt like once again we were asking women and minorities to wait. To wait. So no longer were they going to be on those boards. And, um, and I said that. And so then the day the bill was signed, The reporter. I wasn't there. I wasn't at that time. But the day. I wonder why. The And I like the governor's doing some great things. About some of the other legislation Absolutely. that he's passed, but this one, this one kind of missed the mark. A reporter's first question was: Critics like Felicia Davis at the Chicago Foundation for Women say that this bill doesn't go far enough. And my point was that for so now we're going to study it a little bit longer, so that we it's not that we don't know what the issue is. Right. Um, and so at CFW, we train women to serve on nonprofit boards. We believe that board diversity is extremely important. And you would be surprised that this is still 2019 almost 2020 um, That and we are the we are a Chicago foundation for women so it's in our name and you would be surprised at the number of organizations that apply for grant funds to us without diverse board representation and we make it a teaching moment for those boards mm-hmm. so that they for those organizations mm-hmm. so that they understand and to their credit many of them go and do the work required to actually diversify their board and Let's just say for the record one isn't diverse okay just say that yeah. one is not one
0: looks and smells and feels a lot like tokenism. Yep. Yeah. The only thing I'll add and I agree with my my colleagues but I did think that this is really important because I'll tell you that um, the SEC hasn't figured out how to make boards how to make companies be more transparent. Mm-hmm. They, not they haven't figured out they don't want to. Right. And so if we at the state level can absolutely provide this level of transparency, that really is in my opinion a huge deal because if we're in a capitalist society the best way to change this, the system is through capitalism, right? Mm-hmm. And to at least I hold that belief. And part of that is by if you can see who who has folks and who doesn't and make that transparent that still goes a long way than what we have. They know that it's an issue but now you can actually say how much of an issue it is. And then to really disclose and call out, um, in, in my mind put on Front Street, those who we believe are that diverse and really aren't because they have the diversity that we see represented in the community but not necessarily in their boardrooms. And so I think that that level of transparency is super important, particularly because it's something by the country we haven't figured out how to do. Actually it's not that we haven't figured, we don't want to do. And so at least we can start in Illinois in demonstrating this and creating a roadmap because it's not just about the companies it's also about their investors mm-hmm. and who's investing in those companies. And that's why the transparency matters. Because now you're going to say you support all kind of women, you support people of color, but not only do you know that they not have people on board. So not only do we get to see that company, we get to understand who their investors are that actually think that that's Okay. So that transparency piece, don't get it twisted. Like that, can, It's what we do with it that matters. If we read a report and say, oh, interesting, that's one thing. But if we read the report, really understand why this matters and how that flows through our economy and what that means to us, because we're still going to shop there. Mm -hmm. I mean, so, but if you now know this, what are you going to do about it, right? What are you going to invest in? Where are you going to shop? Where are you going to spend your dollars? Where are you going to spend your time? That's where these transparency issues become really important because right now it's hugely opaque, and without that we can 't make a difference. We know because we, we see general numbers right we see percentage of women five percent whatever then throw out the number doesn 't matter if it 's not fifty i don 't even look at it right so whatever the number right so you threw these numbers out there, but they 're all in aggregate, so it doesn't matter right so but when we start breaking it down there's four, four, four fortune 500 companies that actually have a half fifty percent diverse women and people of color four. Fortunately, one of them is here in Chicago. However, but the point is is that w- without this data and without being transparent, you can't do anything. And so I think that, to me, it's, yes, the bill was weaker in terms of having that mandate, but to me, it's important because now we can actually use the data to hold more people accountable in that whole value chain. Mm-hmm.
2: So shaking up, overhauling, improving the corporate structure to really create more diversity. Um, along those lines... Is workplace harassment and the, the Me Too movement also hopefully gaining traction and really, do you see it actually gaining momentum and being, being consistent that women actually finally have a, have a platform to talk about issues that have happened to them?
0: This is going to be just an uplifting lunch, isn't it? <laughs>
2: Get better and better. I haven't even started talking about the motherhood penalty. That's a whole different.
0: We're <laughs> like gonna all need therapy. We got great counseling yeah. services at the YWCA. <laughs> uh,
1: should you need them after this luncheon? There's a support right, group set up outside. Right, exactly. Um, we should have had a trigger room here. Um, uh-huh. outside. I think that there is definitely a platform. I think people are becoming more open and comfortable with discussing the issue of workplace harassment. But this is yet another area that has been so slow Um, to change, and and a lot of that comes down to the fact that there are not strong enough laws and policies um, to hold people accountable, and there aren't enough people to enforce those laws to make sure that they're happening, right? So Illinois actually just passed um, an omnibus workplace, um, anti-workplace harassment bill, and it is one of the leading laws that have been passed in the country, actually. Um, because it includes, you know, yes discrimination, but it requires all employers now to offer um, sexual harassment training and I know many people in this room are like that's a no-brainer, but it's not because there are so many organizations that are not currently doing it Um, it also allows for further transparency and um, support for um, people working in government and, and stronger government ethics, we know we had a problem with that in Illinois. Um, it also um, includes protection for hotel and casino workers, where now in Illinois, hotels and casinos will be required to have a panic button um, for staff that are working alone. Um, so I think that that is encouraging, but a law is only as good as it is enforced and as people are aware of their rights. So over the next year, we will be making sure because most of these things go into effect in January 2020, so while it's passed, it's not in effect, that we will be holding people accountable for that and we'll continue to have those conversations. But it, that is, um, in addition to that, it, it's about a mindset, right? We have to change the mindset that women own the responsibility of not being harassed at the workplace. Mm-hmm. It is not our job not to go to work, not to get harassed and that by calling um, calling it out that we're troublemakers that by calling it out we're putting our career investment in jeopardy that we're putting promotions in jeopardy. there are women leaving jobs um, because they are being harassed at the workplace and it's happening in every industry, every field, every level um, and those that are um, uh, most vulnerable, are the ones least protected. And those are the ones that are in care and service positions in low-wage jobs that can't afford to lose their job, that are afraid to speak out. So we have to be their voice. And we just have to continue to, to say enough is enough.
3: I, I agree. I served on the uh, Illinois Senate Task Force for anti-harassment um, and, and sexual awareness prevention and awareness. And it was the work of the task force that resulted in the legislation that Sharita just talked about But I will say, um, as I sat there on that, on that task force for the year, listening to the testimony of women, Mm -hmm. um, from the private sector, from the public sector, listening to the women from Ford Motor Company, for example, and you hear these stories. The other side to that is, while there is legislation, these, the women at those companies, the companies are losing out also. Because think about this. From a, um, um, productivity standpoint, if women are harassed and treated in such, such a way that they have mental health issues and they no longer want to come to work, and many of these things cross over into criminal thresholds mm-hmm. and people are not being held accountable, it actually impacts the bottom line of a corporation. And so if we can't touch you with, it's the right thing to do and your heartstrings, then the other thing <laughs> is to understand that there is a severe economic penalty that is being paid for that type of malfeasance in the workplace as well. And then second to that, I will say, is that there was a moment when I sat there, and having been a public servant for much of my career, and I thought that laws go so far, then it's about people. Mm -hmm. So again, because while you pass legislation, it's also what I started with earlier, being in the room and pretending not to see and pretending not to hear what's going on, and knowing that this is happening in your workplace. And I am asking everyone to be brave, because the woman... You said it earlier, but it's the same thing. One person speaking out, it's a tantrum or she's being difficult or whatever it is. But when we're together, the force multiplier of that, of all of our voices being lifted
0: together can't be ignored. Absolutely. And to me, this is, this is the one area that I have probably out of all the issues that we face as women that I have the, the least tolerance for. Um, primarily because, again, this is an area that when you think about societal issues, it manifests itself in the workplace. The fact that we talk about domestic violence, sexual assault been one in four, I don't understand why that's so common and why that's okay. Mm -hmm. Like, why isn't it as common as lightning strike? Like, I would love for it to be one in one million. Why is it one in four? And we're just like, okay, that's to me so unacceptable to the point where I would love, we talked about transparency around diversity in boards, I would love to see corporate disclosure around cases and these situations. What would that look like? Talk about transparency. Give Uber Uber, Uber, that sounds like a new name, Uber, came out just last week with their report that they disclosed and we're transparent about it. And we heard a lot of backlash from that. I'm like, let's see who else does it. Right. No one's going to do it. Because once you start looking at it, you have to address it. It's one thing to put it out there. It's another thing to do something about it. But that 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 transparency matters because we live in a very socially motivated society. If people see things, if they're exposed to things or if they're exposed by things, then they want to take action. I would much rather see not much rather, it's not an either or, it can be and we need to see more transparency around corporations and around this particular issue because if we have that transparency we can actually just see how bad it is and how bad it is will force people to do something about it because again somehow we've all accepted that one in four is okay. And I think that, that because that also is happening in the workforce, when you talk about productivity and there's an economic impact, there, um, we were talking to a third-party administrator for workers' comp claims, and they told us that sexual violence and abuse is highly contributed to workers' comp claims. Mm-hmm. If you want to drive down your workers' comp cost, stop this issue. To me, there's so, but that's why it's like beyond money. At this point, people are willing, because if you can't see, if you can't get past the heartstrings, if you can't get past the economic interest, then what else
1: is there? It's like they've done a cost-benefit analysis, and they say, okay, we'll just leave this set amount uh, to the side for lawsuits, and we're okay with that because the you know the cost to actually do the training and change your policies and enforce your policies and get rid of leadership that are perpetu- perpetuating the issue for them that costs more than the settlements that they have to pay out but until they understand that, and I love the idea of making them report that, because how how much of the workforce would they lose? How many women will say, I'm not gonna work for that company, that's ridiculous. So then you lose in talent and everything else. Well, and absolutely, and we always think about
0: the cost, but what you don't know is the potential and the opportunity, because you so never right. access it. That's right. And aunt. that's, to me, the biggest, the biggest problem with all of these inequity issues, is that we actually don't know what this country would ever look like if we actually did not discriminate Against all these marginalized folks, right. we don't even know what's possible for this country or this even Chicago, right? And so, to me, that's the biggest problem with all of this: is that because we've just layered institutionally all these different issues, we don't even know what's possible if someone could actually go to work and be productive, not be violated, mm-hmm. and, you know, get paid their work. It's just like, oh my God, what could yeah. happen? What's the possibility? The strategies that exactly, what patents know. aren't being realized? I mean, absolutely, because right. I, I, I know you all have heard the story, but I love it that because um, it was here in Chicago that. Amical there was a woman that was in a meeting have you all heard that story um, there's a woman in a meeting that um, Connie Noddick she heard every story though so <laughs> she probably wrote most of these right but um, <laughs> But there was a woman at an Amico meeting that was at the table and just simply said that, you know, it's very hard for her to go take her child off the car to pay at the pump. Or to, excuse me, to pay in the store. So we got pay at the pump. And so imagine, like, and how convenient have that made all of our lives, right? Because this one woman with her challenge was able to bring that perspective. Right. Now I'm convinced that there was some man somewhere saying that we need gas station TV because we do not need ESPN at the pump. <laughs> however, <laughs> however... We still have pay at the pump. So to, but there's just an example of just one woman's perspective, um, what that could do. And I just feel like we're missing out on all these people's perspective because we have made it just so difficult for people to just live and be a person at work.
2: Right. So I told you that they were dynamic. <laughs>
0: um,
2: we actually have a few more minutes and uh, to bring in a couple of questions from the audience um, to the panel here. This question is from Megan Carroll of Assurance Financial Services. So this does touch on uh, when you inject motherhood into the mix. So Mm -hmm. how can we better help new moms navigate those tricky years in the workplace as they transition back to work? Is there a right balance to juggling career and babies? (laughs)
0: Please let me know. You know, I just decided that I don't have a favorite issue. This is another big issue. (laughs) problem this is where I go back to the the fact that the work the workforce and the workplace was never created for women, but definitely wasn't created for mothers. Right. Why is this a surprise? That's why I really don't support a lot of flexible work arrangements because I'm like, you actually need to sit down with your manager and figure out how that person can become more flexible or not flexible, but but more accommodated for that particular situation if you want that talent. And the fact that you dock, dock her pay twenty percent, thirty percent, ten percent, whatever it is, because she has to give you notice before she can fly on a plane, whatever the case may be, for her arrangement. And so I just think that we need to be a little more creative and figure out how to accommodate women with children and just do it. Right. it. To me, it's just a lack of creativity. It's a lack of desire. It's a lack of will to understand that a 50% of the population can have kids. Figure it out. And I just don't understand that we just have not accommodated the workplace for people with children. And that's just ridiculous. Parents, period. Parents, period. Parents, parents, period. Yeah. And that's ridiculous when people have kids. Right. Figuring yeah. More, yeah, more than, so
3: I agree, Dory, but I will also say, so again, this isn't just a woman's issue. No. Child care isn't just a, families, however they are comprised, mm-hmm. spouses, partners, whatever it is, two people decide or one person decides that they want. And we as a, as a society believe that having babies are good for, to continue, you know, for, for the evolution of the world. I mean, we are assuming that yes, we all agree having population and having babies are good. You know, all right. Well, that said, they have to be cared for. And it's not just that. I think about workplace, because we think about it beyond the motherhood penalty, just think about care generally. Mm -hmm. So, women overwhelmingly give, you know, hours and hours, 3.7 hours a week of additional care. Period. Now that care could be to an elderly parent who has Alzheimer's. Mm-hmm. That care could be to um, a, a biological person or a non-biological person, but that care has, has to be given. And so if we think about that collectively, the amount of care, think about all of you. Think about where you are in your life. And many women are, they, now it still goes back to us being sandwiched because you're still taking care of young children or children, period. But then you also have aging parents. I've had both. I've had my mother move in with me and and I have five We have, I have. five kids. And so I have my mother. I have five kids, two dogs. That is a lot. And I worked. And that is a lot going on, right? Two dogs. Thank and so... You. Jackie wanted me to repeat that. And so the thing is, we have to make policies and workplaces that really support families. Mm-hmm. And let's make it... Let's stop saying that it's about women. Let's make it about families. Policies that support families. I mean, a start would be paid parental leave for everyone regardless of gender, regardless of delivery type, of the of, of the, you know, if it's adoption versus
1: yeah there we go
3: <laughs> birth everybody's birth so I hate to say it right but I mean we have to be re- we have to really say what is it that we're trying to achieve as a society mm-hmm. and, and
1: that's for people to be able to parent with dignity and and it's 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 about putting humans first right so it's, it's, it's yes care for the family but it's caring for me as a person and to understand that after I have that child or if I have to take care I'm sandwiched right now as well taking care of my mother you need that time off and a lot of people can't afford to take that time off so we need paid sick time we need paid family and medical leave and you know it we only have right now eight states that have paid leave in this country eight so we pay we passed paid sick time in chicago a couple of years ago but so many municipalities opted out that we're now pushing for paid sick time within the state. And we're also pushing for paid family and medical leave insurance so that everyone can afford to take time off to take care of their loved ones no matter who that loved one is. The other part of that is about balancing motherhood and working. There are tons of support groups with that and I, I, I don't know that you ever find that right balance, right? And I think that as employers we have to create an environment where someone can have work-life balance. Rather that is because you're a mother, whether that is because you have to care for a parent, rather that because you just need work-life balance for yourself Um, it is a responsibility of all of us as employers to create that those environments for everyone and and if you have a lot of working mothers in your organization create an employee resource group so that they have an opportunity to support one another and then come to you as a collective and not just one voice and talk about some of the policy issues that may be within that particular organization that is harming them from having that that work-life balance. But at the minimum, everyone in this room should be supporting the passing of paid sick time and paid family and medical leave. So when you see my action alerts come out, get on the phone call and start calling your legislators and at the federal level, know that that bill is currently sitting in the House. It's not going to go anywhere in the Senate. So, the goal is to get it passed at the federal level within the next year, and then within the Senate level within the next two years, and we'll have a federal program. But at the minimum, Illinois can lead in this.
2: All right, I think uh, I want to end on one last question. Uh, this will be a positive note. Make
1: okay, great. Okay. <laughs> uh,
2: because this has been really wonderful, and uh, we're talking about diversity, closing the gender equity gap. Well, let's, let's look to the companies that are actually actively doing that. This is inspired by um, Heidi Graham. This is a question from, Le- she's with League of Women Voters in Casa Cook County. Um, where can we find the companies and what are the companies actually fighting the good fight and, and being, being good examples of having diversity?
0: Northern Trust is one. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this, there are actually, this is a happy question, because there are actually a lot of companies that are doing good, and um, in in doing good relative to women's empowerment issues. Um, for example, the YWCA, we launched an Impact Shares YWCA Women's Empowerment Exchange Traded Fund to rank those and identify those, and so there's 200 companies on that particular, um, listed within that index, and Morningstar compiled the index, and so that's a great place to start to look at those companies and then start digging down. And I say they're the top ranked by their sector because no one's perfect. We Mm -hmm. all know that or we wouldn't be having this conversation today. But I do think that there are a lot of companies that are doing the right things. Northern Trust is on our index. McDonald's is in our index. There's a lot of companies that I do think are looking at um, women's empowerment very broadly. So women on boards. And we need to look at more than one factor too because Mm -hmm. no one is always doing one thing well. So you need to look at a number of factors. Um, So women on boards is huge. Looking at companies that um, women in leadership as well as supply chain diversity. We forgot about the economic impact we can mm-hmm. have with these companies and how they focus on women. All of the policies that we've talked about today, pay time off, fam- with uh, sick time, family time, companies that are doing things like that, sexual harassment policies. We are ranking those companies and looking at that and Morningstar captures it with their index. And I just think it's really important that we engage and actually understand who's doing what so that we can celebrate those. And not I don't do much shaming, but I really like to celebrate a lot. Right. And so mm-hmm. to celebrate those who are really doing it well because we do have an example. And again, everyone can do better or we wouldn't even be here today. But at the same time, I do think that there's folks that are literally going in the right direction. And I think we need more modeling of that and modeling of that from every sector too. Because I often think that we talk about big corporates all the time, but we forget about all the private capital, all the private companies, all the nonprofits, all the government entities that can all do better. Mm -hmm. All the foundation, like we can all do better. And so to me, it starts with looking inside first before we went out and started pointing at companies who were doing good or bad we had to get our own house in order at the YWCA so we did paid mm-hmm. family leave we did we actually don't have one single flexible work arrangement and trust me my insurance can tell you that we have so many babies happening at the YWCA <laughs> in fact when we changed it to F when we changed our paid FMLA policy I was like oh my god there's so many people having babies now but um, but my point is is that I think that we have to model the behavior that we want others to do and so and I can go on another um, soliloquy about the nonprofits sector in, of itself doing these things, too. But but it's really important that I think we model everything that we want to see big corporations do as well.
1: Um, yeah, I Yeah, I, I, the modeling is important. When I took over at Women Employee, um, we had a pay equity survey done um, to make sure that we were walking the talk um, and we had to make some adjustments. And you know, and that's not because it can creep in anywhere. Um, so you, you have to make sure that you're modeling the behavior. We look at our vendors and we want to make sure that we are using women and uh, minority businesses and vendors as much as possible. That's not all Always it's not 100% of the time but as much as possible so that modeling is is really important and to your um, dory to your point we have to look at nonprofits we have to look at nonprofits in the public sector you know when we were uh, recently pushing for the 5 for 15 and the one fair wage within the city one of our biggest pushbacks were from the nonprofit sector so where you think that this is an, an, an a sector that is for the good, oftentimes we use um, scarcity as an excuse not to do the right thing um, and not to model the behavior that we expect for corporations to do. So modeling is, is, is key.
3: I will um, echo that. At Chicago Foundation for Women, um, so a couple of things. One, when I think about foundations, so um, foundations have endowments, and it matters where you put your money. It also matters, you can reward. Dory and I were on a plane ride to Women's Funders Network, and we were like scheming about how to weaponize <laughs> our money, you know, what, how you take your endowments and how you make them make a statement with that endowment. And so at CFW, we have 60%, we have $17 million under investment. We have 60% of that investment invested in in companies um, through gender lens investing. And it's reported in our annual report for the first time this year. Um, In addition to that, for the first time this year, we are reporting our own, where we spend our money. So as a foundation, we spend about a million dollars a year for our administration operation overhead. And 570,000 of that, more than 570,000 of that. Um, has been spent with women and minority-owned businesses, and we're making that public and we're sharing. So everybody who says they can't find a woman photographer, or a woman right. graphic designer, or a woman X Y Z, or this or that, or a, or a minority company printer, all of those things, those names and those organizations are in our annual report, so that you everyone can see that. And that's just those. They don't just print for foundations and nonprofits. They also for all of you here in the corporate sector, mm-hmm. you y'all have printing things too. You print things. They Print for everyone. Um, we have um, a number of our consultants who are female and African American or um, women of color who have who you know there is a, a whole Twitter page and organization called Women Also Know Stuff. So I frequently <laughs> no y'all laughing. See that there is this whole <laughs> thing. Really, seriously, so often when I tweet, I put the hashtag Women Also Know Stuff because you know being quoted in a paper or being asked to comment on something or something like that, women have expertise as well. And so I think the companies that are doing good, then we can reward those companies with investment. Mm-hmm. We can um, 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 select those companies in our portfolio, and we can then, you know, in a way, we've weaponized our endowment to really speak to the things that matter most to us as a women's foundation. Mm-hmm.
2: Excellent. Ladies, thank you. A big thank you to Felicia <laughs> Davis, Sharita Ellens, Dory McWhorter, for sharing their time and their expertise with us today. They've given us a lot to think about. Hopefully we can take that and go forth and change the world. Change the world. (laughs)